Welcome back to Crazy Face Talk. I'm Erica. I'm Steve. And I'm Sarah. And uh, we are starting a brand new series here for the summer in what we hope is a relaxing or or good and uh, joyful time in your life. Or if things are really stressful and you're looking for a way to have a chance for some uh, powering down or being uh, entertained or whatever, we thought it would be great to have a conversation, as we sometimes do here on this podcast, to check in on what are some pop culture things that are giving us life or enabling us to cope with the stress of the dumpster fire that sometimes the world feels like or the challenges of daily life sometimes we've been real specific and said everybody pick a book or everybody pick a movie or something like that we're just having a free-for-all in this series we're going to call this our summer self-care playlist series so for each of us we're going to get a chance to highlight something you're consuming tv show book movie music whatever that has been feeding your soul or at least helping you to uh depressurize in the midst of this season of life so sarah you're being willing to be our first presenter help us explore what's on your summer self-care playlist so for me for self-care right now it's all about the rom-coms like all of it. Uh, books, I, rom-com books are, tend to be my, like, I need a snack to get me through the next little bit so I can, you know, be ready for a meal later, but I'm not going to be starving when I reach the meal. So they are like my snack food books is how I tend to view them. And, uh, so an author that I've been really enjoying recently, her name is Allie Hazelwood. And what I really, really like about her is that she is a woman in STEM. Like she has, I believe, a PhD in some in one of the science fields. And so all of her books feature a woman in STEM. Uh, so the first book that she had come out was called The Love Hypothesis. And it's about a PhD candidate student who is researching um kidney cancer or kidney disease cancer I'm not sure it's um because I tend to like I don't know anything about the sciences um but it's it's such a like cool thing to see the main protagonist in a rom-com have this really cool career you know that is outside of romance and is just like you know she is she's getting it done um and it then she has to do fake dating though with a professor but like nothing weird going on like he isn't in a position of power over her he's just another professor at the university also in the sciences but like not in her department because it's a really big school so like they're on the up and up but they have to fake date date for whatever reason and then of course very predictably because this is rom-com they do fall in love but you know it it lots of miscommunication as they like get to their happy ending. Um, but I, but I love this because it's a rom-com that doesn't rely on gender stereotypes because like, that's the one thing on rom-com that just drives me up the wall. But sometimes I have to put up with to get my, you know, rom-com fix. Um, you know, it's like when you have to pay, you know, you 
you need to eat a snack to get you through before dinner. But the only thing you have is like this unhealthy food that you don't really like, but it'll do It's a snack. It'll get you there. Um, that's often what the gender stereotype rom coms will, will do for me. So I've been really enjoying her books. She has a series of novellas coming out this summer. Um, so those as they come into my local library will be quickly put on hold so that I can continue reading her books. Can I ask when you are uh, looking for romantic comedies to consume, uh, do you find yourself looking for like recent stuff or you know, this is a genre that's, you know, been around arguably, you know, since his girl Friday. Um, but you know, there, there's been eras where it was like every, every movie it seemed was a romantic comedy and then times when it's been a little thinner. Do you uh, have particular eras that you're like, Oh man, I, I really like go for these or uh, particular eras as far as the book writers or it's, it's a wide buffet for you. It's a wide, it's, it's a wide variety often because I try not to buy rom-com books um, because I try to only buy books that I know I'm going to reread. So I try not to buy them. I try to get them from the library either through a, as an ebook or as a physical book. So it often just depends on what they have available. And then I'll only buy it if it's like uh, Allie Hazelwood, where I now know I love this author. I'm going to reread these books. I will happily buy this book. Um, but I try to never buy a, a rom-com book that I've never read before because I don't want to like read it and then go, ah, yeah, this has problematic gender stereotyping. I don't really, I'm never going to reread this. So I just wasted the $12 or whatever it was yeah. to buy the book. Yeah. I'm curious um, if there is something uh in particular that you find you really like about the genre that makes it like that kind of go to um like like you'd mentioned that there's there's a kind of predictability to the way a standard you know rom-com can go and is that for you a draw that like i basically know how this is gonna go i'm just gonna you know watch it for the the quirks or is is the the predictability something you you chafe against how, how do you what, what what draws you to this genre well, as a, as a comfort read, I do really like that there's a predictability and that everybody gets a happy ending. Like that's part of the predictability. You very rarely have a rom-com where, you know, it ends in tragedy because then by definition, that's not a romantic comedy. Um, so the predictability is certainly part of it. Um, I certainly don't mind watching rom-coms with other people with the sole intention of just roasting it like I'm still okay with that because I'm still watching it um but I think rom-com books in particular I really like because when I was growing up in small town Iowa our public library didn't have a young adult book section um so there wasn't young adult books in my library but there was this wall of Christian romantic books uh you know that very inspirational and so uh the the librarian when I was like 12 and I was like I'm, I'm outgrowing all of these like little kid books where do I go from here she steered me to this wall of this this bookcase because she felt pretty confident I think that it was within my reading level and that it wouldn't have anything that was outside my age appropriateness so for several years there when I went to this library that was the only bookshelf I went to because 
Like that was really the only books available in that library that were for me. Um, so I definitely, I grew up reading these Christian romance novels and that was, so I think that's also a huge part of it for me is like, it's that nostalgia of, yeah, this is what I grew up on before I was finally old enough to read the adult fiction. And so that's also part of it. it it's funny how, um, you know, it, it, and it makes total sense that that would be the, the, the leap you made in reading as a, as a growing reader to move from, especially in that circumstance of here, here's the next collection we have that won't have objectionable content for you, but um, that even in adulthood that you can still appreciate the charm of, you know, we're basically, you know, harmless kind of, you know, we're nothing, nothing controversial, nothing very difficult, you know, people fall in love, they'll meet at church. I mean, that kind of thing. It reminds me of, um, uh, there is a song by Lutheran singer songwriter Jonathan Rundman from years ago. It's from I think it's from his double album with a song for each week in the church year called Sound Theology because that's the kind of church that he is. Uh, but he has a song called Carol of the Bells, and it's literally about falling in love with the person in the bell choir at his church whose name is Carol. <laughs> And I just like I remember the first time I heard it thinking like, oh, good, this is like a novelty comedy song like they might be giants, but for Lutherans. And it's like, no, it is earnest, but it's also playful. Like he has this great she rings G and she rings A. They don't trust those notes to anyone else. And I just love like the the like heart on your sleeve earnestness of like picturing that your meat cute is in the church uh, bell choir uh, not and not being ashamed of that, not having to add something dark and controversial, but like. Yeah, sometimes people meet that way and that's lovely and not being like you have to be too cool for that. Yeah. Yeah, because there's um so 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 with uh Christian rom-coms, like I I still read them, but there are certain parts of my brain that I have to turn off otherwise I'll just get mad. Yeah. Um because Christian rom-coms, the books specifically, um they're the places where you're most likely going to get super gender stereotypes like, you know, she doesn't have a career or at least not a meaningful career. She likes baking and she's really organized and likes cleaning. Like that's the stereotypical woman often portrayed in Christian rom-coms. And, you know, oftentimes she has to like save the man in the sense that he is a heathen and like lawless and she has to like teach him about God's love and uh which I think is also pretty dangerous that you have to change right a person in order to be with them like there's a lot of like things that make my feminist brain go "Ooh, are you really sure you want to go there right as well as Christian rom-coms I think tend to have a bad theology yeah (laughs) like so so that also makes me go Ooh, ooh, did you really just want to go there? Like, right. I think once I reread, like after becoming ordained, I reread a series that I really liked in high school because like I had a very different theology in high school. I was very, like, it was much more Baptist um, theology of you have to be, uh, you have to be perfect in order for God to love you. Like you have mm-hmm. to earn mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. God's love and salvation. And these books kind of reinforced that thought process for me as a kid. Um, so I reread them as an adult because I just remembered, oh yeah, I really liked the series. Let me reread it. Reread it. 
was horrified. And I think I wrote like a three page letter to the author before calming down enough to go, is this really going to help anything? And then I like looked it up and the author was like 95. And I was like, no, let's maybe not send this letter (laughs) to this 95 year old author. I don't think she's going to read it or appreciate it or have this influence future books. Yeah. Uh, So I chose to not send that that letter so i'll still read christian romances occasionally in a pinch but um i have to intentionally turn off some brain parts of my brain otherwise i just get mad and then it's the exact opposite of what i'm going for mm-hmm. I, I was curious about that because like it's it seems like sometimes in that like sub genre of inspirational romantic comedy like there is the question is this person in love with the other person or is it the author trying to say they were really only happy when they fit into this particular role in their relationship and sometimes that's what and sometimes the author can be pretty heavy-handed where it's you know like the the person was so dissatisfied with you know having a job or so dissatisfied with being on their and the only way they could find meaning was like you know it's 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 lovely to be in a relationship and love people uh but sometimes you get the sense that like these become morality plays where the author is trying to drive a moral at the end of you should be in this kind of relationship, not here's a story about two believable people who meet and fall in love or something like that. And yeah. it's that, that heavy handedness that I would imagine could either be an agitation or like you say, you just got to shut off that part of your brain and go, yep, this is, I'm, I'm not even going to pay attention to that. Yeah. So, so now, you know, in the 2020s, Uh, There are a bunch of new authors in movies, but mostly I'm talking about books right now, um, that are a lot more diverse. And like, I'm very excited about that because it's, you know, rom-com for the longest time was girl meets boy and, you know, some hilarity ensues. And then at the end, they have their happily ever after. And that's like kind of the cookie cutter thing. But now there are lots of authors who are saying, hey, yeah, but there's also different sexualities like let's explore what it looks like when um you know boy meets boy or girl meets girl or what does it look like when somebody um I don't remember what this is called but Allie Hazelwood in a couple of her stories has had characters who are they don't feel sexual attraction until they like really get to know the person. And um, so it's not quite asexuality where you don't feel physical, like sexual attraction at all, but it's like, you have to really get to know what the demisexual or something. Demi. Maybe. I feel like I've heard that term before. I can't remember. Right. So, so if it is demi demisexual, because I don't remember, um, she's had a couple of characters like that. And like, so it's a lot more inclusive so that you can like read this and like identify yourself if you're not just, you know, straight mm-hmm. white woman who is reading, mm-hmm. you know, rom-coms. Um, Cause there's also now more diversity in characters also with like race. It's not all just white people, um, mm-hmm. which I think has been the majority of rom-coms for the longest time. So I'm very excited with these new upcoming authors who are writing more diverse characters. I wonder if you have had any chance to to think on this, or if not, I'll put you on the spot. 
but like we're we've intentionally started this series not saying that we're looking for anybody to think anything particularly theological or deep or nothing i mean like the the stuff that we put on for distraction doesn't have to be deep and you don't have to have a reason that has to do with jesus for for liking it but i guess i wonder if there are any ways that uh, you feel a resonance between like the whole Christian narrative as sort of a love story between God and the world. Um, and if there are ways that the assurance of happy ending that you get in the genre of romantic comedy has like, not to go to your favorite passage, but like revelation 21 echoes of like, like, and here's what I mean. Like in, in a sense, like the Christian faith, I think sort of plays like we're told there's going to be a happy ending that there's new creation. And at the last uh, you know, God and the peoples are gathered together in this new creation and God will forever dwell with us and we will belong to God and God will be with us forever. And there's even that imagery, almost like the final concluding scene in rom-com, there is a heavenly Jerusalem adorned like a bride, you know, like, like it's, it's, it's in a sense, romantic comedy imagery. Um, and I guess I wonder if for you, there's any intentional resonance of, yeah, like that, that's how our faith story works. Or if it's like, no, that that's, that's messing with putting too much, too much reading, too much depth into what's a distraction action for me i've never connected those dots but okay. probably because like yeah revelation 21 is my favorite bible passages i have stated numerous times <laughs> on this podcast um and, and part of that is that reassurance of a happy ending of mm-hmm. like things are awful right now like ew looking at a news site or watching the news is heartbreaking right Mm -hmm, now mm -hmm. like and I don't see it getting better anytime soon this summer like occasionally you'll get good news like about the like little kid vaccinations or something like that they'll like you'll you'll get some good news but that good news is surrounded by so much bad news Mm -hmm. and so revelation 21 is so hopeful to me knowing that there will come a day when God will make God's home here among all of God's peoples and that there'll be no more death or pain or suffering and that God will be doing a new thing then. Um, So, so yeah, that, that hopeful ending, like I don't watch movies, like I don't watch rom-com movies where I think that there's going to be a bad movie. Like Steve asked uh, before we started podcasting, if I'd ever seen, um, what is it? 500 days of summer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've not because while the trailer looks hilarious, there's a couple of really good one-liners. I didn't think that there was a happy ending at the end of it. So it's like, mm, that's not for me. Like that's, that might be a good movie and someday I might watch it, but like, it's not, it's not that comfort rom-com yeah. that I'm looking for because I want there to be a happy ending. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this series in my mind, I was just thinking as you were talking that there are a couple of genres out there that almost by definition steer toward a particular kind of conclusion and that not every genre is like that, but romantic comedy. And I would say mm-hmm. maybe even like the mystery or the whodunit has a sense of, you know that by the end, you're going to find out that justice will be done. You'll find out how all the pieces come together and, you know, you'll find out who the murderer was and they'll be brought to justice. Right. Um, And that while certainly there's a lot of differences between the whodunit and the romantic comedy, that sense of you go to that genre with the sense of it's going to start with chaos. And I want to see how order and beauty come out of it at the end. Um, That maybe there is a resonance to that. The the Christian faith tells a story like that. Um, It reminds me of, and you may have heard this anecdote before when you, you were in seminary, uh, Sarah, because um, he was a, a prophet, Trinity, before he passed away. Um, 
but um uh, Walter Bowman used to say that he read mystery novels by reading the last chapter first and then would go back to the beginning and watch how all the characters sort of wound up at that conclusion. And so he intentionally did that, convinced it didn't ruin the story, but because in his mind, that's sort of how the Christian faith goes, that we know how the end goes, that there's new creation, that God sets all things right in the end, or to borrow Julian of Norwich's line, all will be well, all will be well, and all manner of things will be made well. And that, that gives us a different perspective for how we live through the days when the news is terrible and there's a dumpster fire in the you know world that uh, that in in a way romantic comedy and maybe the mystery genre do that for us in a way that remind us oh yeah our faith isn't this open-ended who knows if god will win in the end but no god wins and and in the end god's god's victory is good news not something to be afraid of in a way that other genres don't promise and uh that's part of what you know going into other genres good job bringing it back to uh to talking about faith steve i was wondering how we were going to do that but you did that really well so thanks <laughs> uh although like i i hope in the rest of this series i don't want to be uh the voicing like and everything that we do has to somehow come back to jesus because like sometimes what we need are the things that are simply palate cleansers things that are light and refreshing mm-hmm. and mindless and doesn't have to be deep and complicated uh and and theological um but i guess i also think it's it's true that if we believe that everything matters to god every part of our lives and there's at least some connecting point between even the things that seem the most fluffiest and inconsequential and, and insubstantial and and god that there's a connecting point somehow we don't have to necessarily say it's only worth me watching or reading this if i can find a sermon illustration in it but to say everything connects eventually to god because everything matters to god yeah something that i don't think is going to necessarily be connecting to my faith or to God this summer is I'm exploring a new genre to me, um, which I just went and looked it up because I thought it was a Korean drama, but it's not, it's Chinese. So, um, but it is, uh, it is a Netflix, it's on Netflix right now, and it's called The Princess Wei Young, uh, which is a Chinese drama, but it's, um, the, the Chinese drama and Korean dramas, like all Asian dramas, um, which are com- entirely produced in Asia, have such a different format than mm. American drama. You know, it's it's. Um, so I'm also exploring that genre this summer because it's a uh, it's fascinating. Like everybody's just so dramatic, and it's like um, somebody will be angry and slam a teacup on the table, and their <laughs> maid will just act so shocked, and it's like. Uh, no, this person does this like every episode. Why are you so shocked that they like just threw a teapot? Like, yeah. no, they do this all the time. You don't have to be so shocked. But it's mm-hmm. um, but that's also been a nice palate cleanser as I explore this new genre. Nice, nice. It is interesting to learn the beats of how other cultures tell stories and what at first can seem off-putting because it doesn't fit with our expectations. As you come to learn to almost speak it like a different language or speak it like a different dialect, you go, oh, I get it. And how it, how it reframes your perception of even reality, how this, how a different kind of storytelling works. 
I can remember going through that when our family first got introduced to uh, the movies of um, Studio Ghibli and Hayao Miyazaki. And we've talked about them before in this podcast, like Spirited Away and Princess Mononoke and things like that, that like the pacing and even like the villains aren't quite like the cartoon villains of Disney movies where there's a clear, you know, bad guy and they sing a song about how they're a villain. And you know that their arc is that they're, you know, how they're going to, you know, get their comeuppance at the end and to discover storytelling that is it just treats the world differently sometimes can be really interesting even if at the end you're not you're, you're not saying i i want to keep watching that over and over again sometimes it's just helpful to get a different vantage point on how the world might work yeah i also really like it because it's not predictable because i can't yeah because i don't know the genre um so, so yeah that one's been nice because it's like oh i think they're gonna have a happy ending yeah yeah but yeah. i have no idea yeah. They could all die in the end and I wouldn't know. And for me, my like one of the things I appreciate most is the the occasional movie that knows how to play with the conventions of a genre and gives you just enough to make you think you know where it's headed and then, you know, turns it inside out. So like for me, um as much as I can resonate with I get how the predictability of a romantic comedy can be just the kind of brain candy you need. I was captivated the first time I saw Annie Hall by Woody Allen, which uh, chops up the chronology so it moves back and forward in time, and you know they're not going to get together in the end, and starts with him addressing the camera, breaking the fourth wall, and telling a joke right at the audience. There's a portion where about a minute is a cartoon. I mean, like, it's just strange, but, like, I love that because I, it kept me guessing, and I wasn't sure, man, where is this story going to go? But it also, it was hard to relax. It was hard to relax while watching because it doesn't it doesn't work like a romantic comedy where you know they're going to get together in the end and they'll have a meet cute and they won't get along and then they will get along. Uh, for mm -hmm. me, I like that playing with the genre, but it, it's different. Anything else you want to make sure we know about um, the genre or the things you're um, finding are breathing new life in when you're needing recharging, Sarah? Not really. I hit most of the points I was hoping to hit. Fair enough. Anything else you want to ask, Erica? Not really. Rom-coms are not my thing. <laughs> so I, I get the predictability part and um, that's that aspect will come into my summer playlist. Okay. Um, it's because I like to just rewatch things that I've watched a thousand times over because then I can do other things yeah. and come back and like, oh yeah. Um, so, um, but yeah, rom-coms because I think it's sometimes that predictability that drives me up the wall <laughs> <laughs> yeah i get that uh -oh. well the good news is uh this is a buffet and there's all sorts of different things to sample from so in the course of this series we'll be presenting to you all listening all sorts of different palate cleansers for your own summer self-care playlist and we hope you join us next time here on crazy faith talk see y'all bye, bye.